Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. Matt, have you heard from any of our Finest Work fans? Are they surviving out there? They seem to be surviving. I think some of them are you know, getting out and about. In fact, my dear, lovely sister, Jennifer, who I talked about on the Smith's Strange Ways Here We Come episode, and she's a big fan of the show, not just because she's my sister. I think she actually legitimately likes it. She listens to other <laughs> podcasts. And she said, you hear that bird? Are you in the rainforest? <laughs> I think I am. Are you looking for a bat to eat? <laughs> Matt, not now. <laughs> Tell me about that bird. Did you catch it? We did. Yeah, we laid some traps. One for food. It's a little hard to shop these days. So yeah. Pigeons aren't so tasty. Gross. <laughs> That's Kiwi. That's our bird. Shout out to Kiwi. Kiwi's a, a finest work fan. What happened with Jennifer? Like I said, she's a big fan. She listens to every episode. She's going to get some food and she's listened to the show. She was in the mood for Chick-fil-A for lunch and she pulls up to the, the window and the voice comes over the speaker and says, Hi, welcome to Arby's. Can I take your order? And she's like, she's like, wait a second. I'm in the wrong place. And she was like, I should have realized that I did not wait in line at all. No. So then she, she I'm sure, politely sped away. Uh, yeah, so I think we, we subtly... Yeah, have influenced or almost influenced her shopping decisions. She didn't even plan right. to go to Arby's. It just went there. Didn't even plan one. Her husband, my brother-in-law, he was he was a little agitated. He was like, you didn't at least buy the curly fries? Right. <laughs> How sad to work at Arby's, to be in the drive-thru. Barely anyone comes. And then someone right. comes and you say, welcome to Arby's. And you hear them go, oh. And then they drive away really fast. Like the, the tires are like peeling in the parking lot. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder so. if the guy tried to throw like a roast beef into her window as she drove by. <laughs> Here, just take it. <laughs> They're just going to get cold. <laughs> I like that the guy that works at Arby's is really passionate about getting people roast beef. <laughs> it's like a crack dealer. <laughs> I can just get someone to try one. Call me back. <laughs> oh, I love that story. Yeah. So, you know, just thanks to her. Thanks to all the listeners. The Finest work fans are still engaging with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And so that, that's, that's been a lot of fun to see. Yeah. We're here because it's fun to talk about music and we hope that it is mildly entertaining. During these times, it can help to have moments like this podcast to enjoy. So today we wanted to pick a classic album that really would lift people's spirits. And so what yep. is it today that we are going to be jumping into, Matt? The first album from Miami Sound Machine. <laughs> Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Oh, my God. No, I, actually, actually, a funny story about that real quick. Years ago, for work, I had to go to Vero Beach, Florida for a meeting. Gloria Estefan, her and her husband, actually own and run a hotel in Vero Beach. And that's where we stayed. The drinks on the menu in their hotel restaurant are named for Miami Sound Machine songs. Oh, gosh. One of their signature cocktails is called The Rhythm Is Gonna Get You." <laughs> but I'm really excited and also kind of cautious talking about this album and this band today. We could do a four, five, six hour episode just on this album. Yes. Really excited today to talk about Rubber Soul. Out of all these friends and lovers, there is no one compares with you. And these memories lose their meaning when I think of love as something new. A 
It may be surprising to some of you to hear that this is album number six for right. the Beatles, because most bands who have recorded six albums, that usually takes them how many years? Ten? Well, it takes 10 years, and the sixth album or thereabouts is usually when bands start to decline in originality and in you know, new ideas, and that was not the case <laughs> with the Beatles. No, this is more or less the beginning. Mm-hmm. The departure album, as mm-hmm. they call it. When I think of Beatles albums, and this is not to dismiss the first five, because mm-hmm. if they had stopped right there, they'd still be considered a great band. And they would be remembered for Beatlemania, some incredible harmonies and lovely pop songs. Mm-hmm. But to think that it's album number six where they really get going is one of the reasons the Beatles are in a class by themselves. Right. You'd be hard pressed, you know, in a lot of ways to find another band that made such a leap from the previous album to this one. That's right. But then they keep doing it. I mean, like Revolver is a leap. I mean, Sgt. Pepper is a leap. Yeah. I and mean, they just keep doing it time and time again. And it all starts with Rubber Soul. So let's jump in. And as always, we start with our memories. So Matt, what is your memory of the Beatles' Rubber Soul? Talking about my sister, Jennifer, she's eight years older than me. So she had a collection of vinyl albums that I think she had sort of gathered through the years, either from cousins or uncles or friends or whatnot. I remember one album cover she had was Rubber Soul. Somewhere along the way, someone had drawn mustaches on each of the Beatles (laughs) on that album cover with like a pen. Um, It was funny because it was like little pencil pen mustaches. That was sort of my first interaction with it. But I was probably middle school, high school before I you know, realized what the album itself was and then really listened to all the individual songs on the album and, and got a sense of just what a remarkable album it is. How about you? What's your, uh, your memory of this? I don't know if you knew this, Matt, but I'm somewhat of an inventor. These inventions take a lot of patience, a lot of tries. My wife is having to carry the load of the family and bring in all the money while I'm out there tinkering around. I went away to a conference to try and show off my invention. It was a failure. I I couldn't provide proof. I'm so sick of it and dejected that I went home and I just snapped and started smashing this machine that I'd made. I I calmed down a little bit. I I sweep it all up into a dustpan and put it in a trash can and and take it outside. And then we realized that we can't find our kids. (laughs) And when I search amongst the debris of my inventing room, I find a baseball. I deduce that the kids had made their way up into that room and somehow got my invention to work. I didn't mention that my invention is a shrinking machine. (laughs) So uh, I had to go to my wife and say, babe, I done shrunk the kids. (laughs) (laughs) So then it turns into, we're trying to find our kids that are very tiny. They're like the size of small bugs. As I find out later, they go through quite an adventure of being very tiny, befriending an ant, almost dying and being eaten by animals. My kids are resilient. And I finally found them when I was going to eat my Cheerios and the dog bit me, letting me know that those tiny children were in my cereal. Thank God for that dog. Yeah, the dog is a better parent than I. I have to admit. <laughs> anyway, we, we fixed the machine. The kids showed me what they had discovered, and I uh, was able to return them to their normal size. They talked about what it felt like to be standing there looking up 
and seeing a shoe come at you and this big rubber sole just coming down <laughs> on you. <laughs> and that's what I heard, rubber sole. Jeez. So, I mean, inventor, there were probably quite a few little concoctions and strange brews you were working on <laughs> up in that attic of yours. I mean, but in this case, it was almost like a little workshop of horrors. <laughs> Rick Moranis. There you go. Rick Moranis. As you mentioned, this album could fill three epipods worth of discussion and praise. One preface to that is we've kind of backed ourselves in a corner with previous episodes and that we purposely and for many, many reasons, try not to talk about That's every right. single song on an album. This one was hard to like eliminate songs. It's so good that Day Tripper and yes. We Can Work It Out were in these sessions, but because they're non-album singles, we're not going to talk about them. That even feels like a crime. Right. Uh, we made our choices. You'll see the songs that we have chosen to discuss. The beautiful thing about the Beatles is that you could have an epipod on the songs that we left out. Yeah. This album kicks off with a great guitar riff. This is Drive My Car. As you mentioned earlier, it harkens back to previous Beatles efforts with the harmonies and just the, the almost bluesy soul feel of the song. It does sort of tell you right away that this is a different Beatles. They've been listening to a lot of Motown after visiting the U.S. I think they were exposed to even more. And the funny thing about that is they got really influenced after one month of listening to radio in the U.S. It sort of seeped in uh, their DNA to to really embrace and do their own versions of soul and Motown stuff. When you hear it, you don't think, oh, this is embarrassing. The Beatles are ripping off Motown and they sound so out of their element. This isn't hollow notes. Right. <laughs> no, they remain the Beatles as they do mm -hmm. that. And apparently George had been really digging Respect by Otis Redding. song not even a huge hit at the time mm -hmm. what harrison loved about it was the way that the bass and guitar lines mimicked each other and that's what they do throughout the song which that's also a departure for george because before that paul or john would tell him what to play you know he's the kid brother type in the band yeah the youngest but this is him bringing a riff and paul accepting that as they get into this stage of their career george is starting to come into his own a little bit the bass line that Paul is playing in this, such a standout bass part. To me, this is really where you start to see the technical skill that he has oh my gosh. on bass, which, which often gets overlooked. Uh, you know, it gets overshadowed by his just supreme songwriting skills and yeah. the hit-making machine that he is. But I mean, he's a, just an incredible bassist as well. I feel like for as influential and recognized as he is, he's underrated as a bass player. <laughs> which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. 
the reason this is album number six is that they were on pace doing two albums every year. After Help, they were touring and traveling, mm -hmm. took a vacation. They were playing these monster sellout shows. They're getting to the point where the touring is just wearing them out. So they don't have time to write anything. And when it yep. comes time for this album, they come home, they're told to go in the studio and basically just make it happen, which was a big challenge to them, as we'll see with some of the songs. But also, this is the time uh, when they started to change the way recording looked even. And this song is noted for being the first song that the recording aspect of it went past midnight, which mm. now seems like not a big deal. Right. But back then, you know, you're talking about engineers in the studio wearing lab coats, everything being very precision. You stopped at a certain time and you just had to put your instruments down and walk out. But you kind of wonder what the impact was in the studio if people really balked at them pushing the, the limits. In addition to that, this seems to be the, the first album they had sort of wrestled control of their destiny, if you will, and have said, you know, this this was their album. I think this may have been the first album, which was all their original songs. I think even the other five albums that had covers on them, this was them putting in their arms around the entire process while almost getting more insular and, you know, sort of huddling together as the, as the, the four or five of them, if you count George Martin. A lot of times when bands try to do other genres, they, it seems they lose their soul. They lose their way, but it's almost like the Beatles absorb things and then become stronger. They're like the blob. Isn't that what happens with the blob? I think so. Yeah. They're like a good, happy version of the blob. Yeah. This song apparently is about this woman who's like a gold digger has plans to become a star and is basically wooing this guy saying like, Hey, you could, you could be my chauffeur. <laughs> and then at the end, it, she's revealed, listen, babe, I got something to say. I got no car, <laughs> but I have a driver. So we're good. And we're getting there. That's a start. You got to have some confidence to be able to pull that off too. <laughs> I want to talk about this guy. He has no yeah. self-esteem if he thinks the best he can do is to sign up to be a chauffeur for a woman who's not a star, who can't pay him, who doesn't even have a car. <laughs> right. Maybe this is Nowhere Man. Ooh. Ooh. It's a concept album. It's the first 2112. <laughs> so we start off with a Paul song. The second song on the album is a John song. Norwegian Wood, parentheses, this bird has flown. Close parentheses. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, thought I thought we'd have to do the rest of the show inside the parentheses. So. <laughs> Glad you figured that out. where it's I want to hold your hand now they're talking about having an affair definitely in a more veiled way it's mm -hmm. not as direct as a lot of their writing before at this point they had met Bob Dylan 
and they were big fans of him and also really influenced by him. He also introduced them to marijuana. Yep. The story there was that he thought they were already singing about it and doing it. He said, you know, you know, in your song, you say, I get high, I get high, I get high. And right. they're like, no, no, that's, I get by. Yeah. <laughs> he thought that they were already doing it. He's one of those people that turns everything into a pot lyric. John apparently says this is the pot album. Revolver was acid. Mm-hmm. Apparently, a reporter told John, you're a really good songwriter. Why don't you write more like Dylan? And so mm. people think this is Lennon's departure from his more straightforward writing than writing more like Dylan, mm-hmm. which I think is obvious when you talk about the title, even. This bird has flown. We all know mm-hmm. from our Dylan epipod right. how much Bob Dylan loves some birds, man. <laughs> But he loves anything about leaving people and being That's lonely. right. <laughs> Every song almost has innovation in it. This song is seen as being a big influence on psychedelic rock to come and also world music. Yeah. Which, uh, thanks? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks. I guess. Thanks, George. <laughs> and like with, with most things, the sitar here, it just goes along with the melody. It kind of emphasizes the melody it's not necessarily the central instrument i'm not a huge fan of the sitar i think the only reason i accept it is because it's the beatles and they're brilliant i can see this song without it yeah and it would still be an incredible song Mm -hmm. it doesn't make the song by any means it's sort of like you know the first americana folk band to incorporate a kick drum (laughs) into their act and then everyone else is like we gotta use a kick drum norwegian wood refers to the cheap pine wall paneling that was in style. It makes me think mm. that if this song were written 10 years ago, he'd be singing about her pallet wood walls. <laughs> what, what would it be today? Like shiplap? Shiplap. You got it. Yeah. He'd be singing about her. Isn't it good? Mm-hmm. That shiplap would be about Chip and Jojo. <laughs> the woman in this song leaves and he wakes up and she's gone. Mm-hmm. And it says that, so I lit a fire. Isn't it good? Norwegian wood. And I think that, Maybe the safe version would be that, oh, she's gone. I'm going to light a fire to keep myself warm. And isn't this wall paneling lovely? But according to Paul, no, the writer is setting the place on fire. Jeez. Yeah. This isn't the only song on the album that's pretty violently misogynistic. No. It's not as blatantly misogynistic as Run For Your Life. But again, that that does kind of speak to maybe a different time. Even someone as forward-thinking and progressive as the Beatles would think, hey, you know what would be great? Is at the end of the song, he gets revenge by burning down her apartment. (laughs) And here's a lovely sitar. That's right. (laughs) Next, we got another relationship song here. This is a Paul song called You Won't See Me. Paul's relationship with an actress that seems that they didn't have a lot of time together. She's mad at him and won't see him. It's relational turmoil. 
That's what they're singing about so far on this mm-hmm. album. Yeah, it's sort of like the natural progression of your 18, 19, 20, and you're singing about, I saw her standing there, and I want to hold your hand, and yeah. then you mature, and people change, and relationships fray at the end. They're growing up. Our boys are growing up. Our babies. Our babies are growing <laughs> up. This is another Motown-influenced song. The verses use the same sequence of chords as the four tops. It's the same old song. But again, like you said, they're not trying to do like a really bad copycat version of it. No. They're doing the, the Beatles version of Motown. It also shows Ringo's ability as a drummer. I'll fight anybody who says that Ringo's not a good drummer. And that's the rhetoric that gets tossed about. I don't even have to make my case. We'll just say that the Beatles thought he was good enough to be in the Beatles. <laughs> so I think that he was more than adequate I've heard people make this quote that John once said that Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. I don't know if I've ever seen that actually attributed, but I've heard multiple people say that John once said that. He didn't say that. A comedian said that. Damn you, Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) (laughs) People then said that Lennon said it. Okay. People say that because he wasn't John Bonham or Keith Moon. Right. When you're in a band like the Beatles, you don't want those drummers. He's definitely the best drummer for the Beatles because he Mm -hmm. sits in the song. He plays to the song. And when you think about these guys are inventing genres as they go along, a lesser drummer would not be able to play to the song. And he's got a feel and a swing unlike anybody else. You can't even really imitate him. Ringo's one of a kind. To me, you know, one of the other sort of telling things about Ringo's drumming is I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary about the the last waltz, you know, the band's last concert. Ringo is one of the many guests that come out on, on stage and play with them. And there's one part, and I don't, I don't even remember what song it is. Ringo kind of does one of his patented Ringo fills. And like they interview like Robbie Robertson or Levon Helm or someone afterwards. And they're just like, that was the greatest moment of the night. They're on stage. They've got Dylan. They've got Neil Diamond. They've got you know, all these huge stars at that time. And Ringo doing a little Tom Phil was like the highlight of the show. And it was like the moment where they thought, okay, we, we've made it. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, would the Beatles have been successful without Ringo? Sure, of course they would have. But would they have been the same band without him? Absolutely not. No way. There's a great video on YouTube, and it has a whole bunch of famous drummers sitting at a Ringo kit, each of them talking about Ringo, and they're playing different beats of his, and they're just singing his praises. We could put that in the show notes. I would encourage anyone who wants to know why Ringo is so good to check that out. Next, we're singing about that lonely sap (laughs) who's just agreed to become a chauffeur. That's our theory here on Finest Work Songs. This is Nowhere Man. Isn't he a bit like you and me? 
consider yourself a Lennon guy or a McCartney guy? I'm probably 53% McCartney, 47% Lennon. Okay. What about you? I know I brought up the question, but I kind of hate it. (laughs) Why'd you ask me that? (laughs) I like to say I'm 50-50 because the way that they both influenced one another and they both came Mm -hmm. up together as songwriters. They both have the talent, but they also drive one another. And you don't get to be the Beatles without working incredibly hard. And, you know, they're always adding into each other's songs. Mm -hmm. John says that he'd always add something bluesy into Paul's songs. I think that they are who they are. And we don't need to make the comparison. I kind of trapped you and then just walked away. (laughs) Gee, thanks. (laughs) You know, here we are, six albums in, or the sixth album, and this is the first non-boy-girl relationship song on a Beatles album with no oh, really? one. Yeah, so it's more of a existential yeah. self-reflection song versus I want to hold your hand and from me to you. I mean, John was definitely, of the two of them, I mean, if, if you want to get into some self-loathing songs, he's yeah, the guy. absolutely. I'm a loser. <laughs> Apparently Nowhere Man came from him trying to write a song and he couldn't and he gave up and lay down to take a nap and he said that Nowhere Man just kind of came from that. Come on, John Lennon. Only you could do that. I'm going to give up. I'm going to lay down. And then here it comes. All I do when I take a nap is drool all over my pillow. I'm going to go watch Netflix. (laughs) John is just going to spit out a beautiful song. Well, to be fair, he didn't have Netflix. In 1965. It's a good thing. Who knows what would have happened. We wouldn't have the Beatles. Yeah, that's right. You're ruining the next Beatles, Netflix. (laughs) Also, when you look at the timeline of this album, they apparently had zero songs coming into this. You would think that this would be the album where they're exhausted from touring. They've done five albums in two and a half years. They have to run out of songs. And instead, this isn't the thrown together transitional album. This is (laughs) rubber soul. Like, are you kidding me? You're right, though. This is a this is a song about John's self-loathing. He was unhappy in his marriage, maybe mm-hmm. with the struggles of the fame. And this was also, I guess, during what he called his fat Elvis period. <laughs> <laughs> is that just because he was sad? That, but he also did. You know, he put on some weight. It was kind of like uh, Chandler Bing, in that he kind of fluctuated in his weight <laughs> at that time. So. Um, so yeah, I, I think he, I think he, with that self-loathing came from sitting around and not really necessarily taking care of himself, but very well. Elvis talks about that was his Fat John period that he went through. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, they continue to push the innovation on this one. This is the first time that Harrison played Stratocaster guitars. Mm. They wanted more treble on the track for this solo because it's very thin. It sounds like the birds. Apparently, they, they told the guy, like, we need more treble. And the guy's like, that's as high as it goes. And so they're like, well, re-record that track to another track and make that one trebly. At the time, the engineer was Norman Smith. This is the last album before Jeff Emmerich stepped behind the mixing console. And I think that it's probably good that they moved away from an engineer because you needed somebody young and new, no lab coat, to take it where they wanted it to go. It's kind of cool that they started pushing things with this album, but then they had kind of a new guy and a new team on the next album. And Jeff Emmerich's got a fascinating book called Here, There, and Everywhere. He talks through a lot of the recording techniques that they came up with as a result of the Beatles. That's cool. It's good to know. They changed the game. They changed every game. You think John played this and they're like, you okay, John? (laughs) You need need to talk to somebody? 
I'm guessing that John Lydon probably didn't take well to uh, heartfelt conversations like that. Um, I'm thinking that. We haven't skipped any songs so far. We've gone through the first four. We're making quite a jump here. We're jumping all the way to track 11 with In My Life. There are places I remember Okay, so remember when you asked me if I was a McCartney guy or a Lennon guy? Yeah. I, I changed my mind. There you go. <laughs> I mean, this song, geez, man. I think the problem with saying I'm a McCartney guy or I'm a Lennon guy is I feel like saying that, that I'm dismissing or throwing away the other person's yeah. songs. Right. Here they are. They're five albums in. The Beatlemania has changed the world. They're the biggest stars, biggest songwriters, biggest musicians, biggest everything on the planet. And this is the song that Lennon says is, was the first truly special piece of music songwriting of his. That's crazy. I mean, but you can see why. I mean, it's, it's a perfect song in every single way. I feel like this song is kind of the blueprint for every single sentimental reflection, thinking about your know, childhood and people you've known and the passing of time. This is the one that I think every other one springs out of. It seems out of character for him in a really wonderful way. Yeah, this, this seems like the subject matter that Paul would have tackled easily and probably has attempted. So it's, it is interesting that John is the one who, who captures it so succinctly and so perfectly. Penny Lane is Paul's version of mm-hmm. In My Life. And in fact, there was a, a lyric in here that said, Penny Lane is one I'm missing. And then Paul went ahead and grabbed onto Penny Lane, which Paul wasn't from Penny Lane. Oh, wow. Dang. <laughs> they have such an interesting relationship. It's kind of like you and me. It really is. I have that rock opera I'm working on about mule days. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. You should see it. You will. Oh, I will. Yep. I'll help you write the, the choruses. We're a regular old <laughs> Lale and Stevens. <laughs> Are you, are you more of a Lale guy or a Stevens guy? <laughs> I'm a mule guy. <laughs> this song is also famous for the the George Martin key solo. Harpsichord solo. Yeah. <laughs> some more trickery where they slowed the tape down by half speed and then George played the solo on the piano. When he sped it up to regular speed, it sounded like the harpsichord. He knew about half speed recording. He had used that several times as a producer, Mm. Uh, but it is seen Mm -hmm. as like a really unique new thing here. I mean, everybody knows about it from Alvin and the Chipmunks. If we're talking about the true innovators of recording. I think we have to agree that Alvin and the Chipmunks are the real geniuses behind this. 
Well, I'm sure we'll get to a chipmunks episode here soon. Oh, at least one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we can't talk about a Beatles album without showing some love for the songwriting of George Harrison. intimidating was it to be a songwriter in the Beatles as George Harrison? He's clearly no slouch as a songwriter. No. (laughs) To step into a studio with John and Paul and to one, have the courage and the conviction to bring them songs of your own. I'm sure there were some pretty painful, caustic, cynical conversations, particularly early on, but clearly the, the talent, the magic is there and, if this had been a George Harrison solo song, it would be a great song. But then you throw in those harmonies when they, especially the, those those higher pitches with "If I Needed Someone," mm-hmm. it's honey. You've got Lennon and McCartney who are competing with each other all the time, always trying to one up one another, but secretly mm-hmm. completely dependent on the other person, and they know that. And then George has to bring, hey, what do you guys think of this song? Mm-hmm. It's really intimidating. He gets so few songs throughout the years, and he does continue to grow as a songwriter, mm-hmm. but he's got an incredible track record of songs. Right. Some people speculate that's why his solo album, All Things Must Pass, was the best of the post-Beatles solo albums mm-hmm. because he had these songs that had been overlooked. You know, if, if we're using like baseball terms, yeah. I mean, his his songs are he, he's he's hitting at a high batting average with the songs that make it on albums. You know, you think of some of the most beloved Beatles songs of all time. You know, here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I mean, something he wrote something. Something did he write? While my guitar gently weeps. Yep, tax man. Yeah, he's doing all right. Yeah. His two songs on this album have some really biting lyrics. Carve your number on my wall. Maybe I'll give you a call if I needed someone. <laughs> like, Man, George, that's a sick burn by George. <laughs> yeah. There's so much left unsaid, and we realize that. I hope some of you are angry with us for songs that we left off. I completely agree with you. There's so much to celebrate and, and say about the Beatles. Rubber Soul is one that I come back to more than almost any other Beatles album. But even preparing for this podcast and really sitting down with it was really fun. So it's been great. I've enjoyed this trip down Abbey Road. (laughs) Or Penny Lane. Yeah. We probably have not done this album justice just because we don't have three hours to talk about it. No, that's right. And hey, Mm -hmm. listen, folks, that's what it is. Because unless you want us talking about 
Hootie and the Blowfish for three hours or Dookie for three hours. (laughs) (laughs) This is what you're going to get. This is what we do. John Lennon comes to you and says, you've got to take a song off Rubber Soul or he's going to burn down your apartment. (laughs) What song is it? There you go. For me, that song is going to be Run For Your Life. This is one that I didn't notice for years, really, because I'm just singing along and harmonizing and having a good time mm-hmm. as Rubber Soul closes out. But then I realized that, oh my gosh, this song <laughs> is about murdering your ex-girlfriend. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> awkward. John called it his least favorite Beatles song. I think he never liked it because he started it off with ripping off an Elvis line. I think closing the album off with If I Needed Someone is a great way to end, as well as these lyrics definitely don't hold up. I mean, when I read these lyrics now, it sounds almost like a Run the Jewels song. You better run for your life. I can see that. That's one I thought about as well. The one song that I would probably remove off this album is Girl. She's the kind of girl you want so much it makes you sorry. Still you don't regret a single day Ah, girl Girl, girl When I think of all The way that John inhales every time he sings girl I can't hear anything but that And it, it just, if he didn't do that I probably still wouldn't love the song But that's the part that grates on my nerves Kiwi disagrees with you. She's ready to Damn, fight you about you Kiwi. that. <laughs> <laughs> Kiwi has strong opinions about John Lennon. That's right. Yeah, that's another one that I don't love. But even when you're talking about the Beatles, the songs that we dislike, we still love mm-hmm. them even so. <laughs> Are you? I hope that this sets all of you off on a Beatles kick because it's great music to be playing while you're taking walks, making food. Let us know what you think we missed with this one. In the meantime, you just keep listening. Please share it, our podcast, review it, and just continue to look for us on Instagram and Twitter at Song. We'll be back soon with another exciting Epipod. And until then, we hope you stay, stay at home. home. Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you're in the Raleigh area. They're on Facebook at Medium Heat Music.